Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Welcome to Season 8 of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim. Can you believe, Tim, it's been eight seasons, three years? Ripley's Believe It or Not, it's Series 8 (laughs) of Popcorn Podcast. And what a way to kick off Series 8 with Thor, Love and Thunder, plus all the latest movie and trailer news. Let's do it. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies. And this week, we're talking Thor Love and Thunder, as you mentioned at the top of the episode, to kick things off for Series 8, which is so exciting. Now, in his fourth solo MCU film, Thor finds himself on a quest for inner peace in Thor Love and Thunder. But his retirement is interrupted by a galactic killer known as Gore the God Butcher, who seeks the extinction of the gods. To combat the threat, Thor enlists the help of King Valkyrie, Korg, and ex-girlfriend Jane Foster, who, to Thor's surprise, wields his magic hammer. Thor Love and Thunder is directed by Taika Waititi, his second Thor film, from a screenplay by Waititi and Jennifer Caton Robinson, from a story by Waititi based on the Marvel comics by Stan Lee and Jason Aaron. Thor Love and Thunder, of course, stars Chris Hemsworth, Natalie Portman returns, we have Christian Bale in there, Tessa Thompson, Taika Waititi, Russell Mm Crowe, who I'm very excited to talk about later in this episode, as well as Chris Pratt, Dave Bautista and Karen Gillan. Now let's address the giant goats in the room, (laughs) if you will, the screaming goats, if you know, you know. (laughs) The film has had very mixed reviews. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Mainly because it's being compared to Ragnarok. Yeah. Taika Waititi's first direction mm-hmm, in this mm-hmm, in this franchise. Mm-hmm. But that's a real false economy because it immediately won't compare to Ragnarok because that was a first of its kind. It was a breath of colourful, fresh air because it was so different to what we'd previously seen in the MCU. And therefore, anything that comes after it in a similar vein just won't have the excitement of that 
that newness, you know what I mean? So, first of all, let's stop doing that. Let's stop comparing it to Ragnarok. Okay. That's one of the first points I was <laughs> going to make. Okay, do it. Go on. Look, interesting that you use the expression false economy. I find that really interesting. Okay. It's a word I've n- not really heard being thrown around in the discourse about this movie. I personally think that it's unavoidable not to compare Thor yeah. Love and Thunder with Thor Ragnarok because Thor Ragnarok, for me, represented the perfect balance of action comedy and emotion yeah. amidst an interesting story yeah. about family. And Thor Love and Thunder does not hit yeah. the, the the mark. When you compare it to Thor Ragnarok, sure, but then put that aside, mm-hmm. even just as its own film and what it's trying to do and balance from mm-hmm. a tone perspective, which we'll talk about, it doesn't get it right. Right. I somewhat agree with you. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying by not comparing it, though, uh-huh. is that you can't expect it to reach the same heights. Sure. I mean, that's a, an ongoing challenge that a franchise has. Yeah. When you're having a fourth piece of the Thor pie, mm-hmm. there's a lot of expectation. And when you have come off the dizzy heights of a previous film, mm. it is challenging. I agree. I think the biggest issue is that we've been conditioned to understand that every film in the MCU is part of a larger puzzle Mm -hmm. and it's heading somewhere. And that can create a pitfall sometimes when a film doesn't seem to be adding a building block to that Mm -hmm. that bigger picture. People say it's a waste of time. I don't think it's a waste of time. It's revisiting an old thread and trying to give this extended love story a bit of closure and maybe try and fill a gap as to what Thor was doing, fill a gap in his and Jane's relationship. I mean, (laughs) they really montage out this huge relationship that they had that I didn't even know they had. Well, see, okay, I'm going to build on that because you're saying that they're here to try and fill a gap, mm-hmm. a gap that they created themselves. <laughs> okay. And then eight years later, they're like, oh, fuck, actually, you know what? Maybe we need to add some context and reasoning behind this. It's all right. Let's just make another movie uh, <laughs> and we'll explain it all then. I mean, I know Jane hasn't been around for the best part of a decade within the MC, but that's fine. It's absolutely fine. <laughs> I mean, people f- are familiar with her because she showed up with uh, yeah. Yeah, our cover footage in Endgame. That's okay. They still know Jane's here and whatever. Yeah. And I was unconvinced at the way that they shoehorned us back into the world of Jane and Thor. Yeah. And I mean, the way that they, and we'll talk about this, the style of Taika Waititi, because the way that they played that out felt like I was watching a romantic comedy for, a, for about right. 90 seconds. Mm-hmm. So it was just all weird. But okay, so you, sorry, just to keep going on. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Uh, the thing is about it being part of a wider thing, mm-hmm. phase four, the MCU, there's now been like 1700 films mm-hmm. within this franchise now. The thing is that the setup at the end of Endgame for the next Thor adventure was freaking epic. You mm-hmm. had Thor partnering with the Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. coined as the Asgardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. That was the adventure we were meant to go on in yeah. this movie. That's what I was expecting. Right. And not to speak for the world, but I'm sure they were like, oh my gosh, this is going to be mm. great. Thor, Love and Thunder, bring it on. We did not get. As Guardians of the Galaxy, they no. were merely a footnote to this movie and I was pissed. Right, yeah. And the cameo budget for this film must have been through the roof. <laughs> okay, because, that's one way of explaining yeah, it. Yeah, because the Guardians are effectively there for the purpose of a montage. Like you said, they brush over what they've been doing all this time. Yeah. Adventures in space. Mm. When we meet Thor with the Guardians, it also feels a bit like if Chuck Norris, Jean-Claude Van Damme and Fabio had a Viking baby. <laughs> Ow, my headphones almost just <laughs> fell off my head. 
That's good. That's the movie I want to (laughs) see. Right? Yeah, I guess another problem in the direction that they've taken this film is that a big part of Thor is that beneath his slight arrogance and that godly attitude, he grew more humanity and humility through his love for Jane and the people of Earth. Mm -hmm. And this film kind of throws that all out the window, all that lovely development that's happened over all these films, not just his own films, but also the Avengers films. Mm. They've just chucked it back out the window. He's back to being a bit of a vain dude who doesn't have a clue. Vain dude. He had no clue in this yeah, movie. but then he goes all soft and gooey when Jane's around. I mean, soft and gooey <laughs> and the swole physique of Chris Hemsworth aren't really two phrases <laughs> you put together. But it's hard as rock. Hard as a rock. <laughs> that sounds was, dirty. <laughs> I was about to say, so was I. No, I'm just, oh Absolutely God. not. No, no, no. <laughs> Season 8 of Popcorn Podcast oh. is rated R. <laughs> Anyway, let's move on from debaucherous conversations. Mm. How did you feel about the storytelling aspect of the script? Because we're introduced back into the world of Thor through heavy exposition Mm -hmm. and Korg, who's voiced by Taika Waititi, the Mm. writer-director, explaining what's happened across Thor's arc as a character over all these years, almost spoon-feeding us unnecessarily. I didn't mind that angle into the story. I'll say that. Mm. And I also want to pull out one other thing that's threaded through the film. There's a great theme of sisterhood running through here between Valkyrie and Jane. And I really enjoyed that. I wanted more of it. You know, Valkyrie has always been a loner. She's lost all of her sisters and she lost her love in tragic battle. And it's really nice to see her bonding with Jane slash Mighty Thor. Mm. Don't call her Lady Thor. It's Mighty Thor. Lady Thor, Mighty Thor. I feel the same. Again, I wanted more of that, like you've called out. The MCU have done a really good job or a conscious job of mm-hmm. giving more for the women to do. Yeah. And that's exciting. I just felt like there needed to be more of yeah. King Valkyrie, more of Tessa Thompson in here, which we'll talk about later, no doubt. There's a sweet reason for why Jane can wield Mjolnir. Mm-hmm. Did I Is say that, that how right? You yeah, it? I think so. Okay. I've got a Norwegian husband. I should be pronouncing it right. I think that was a brilliant choice. We're not going to give that away because it's a spoiler, but Mm -hmm. I really liked the reasoning behind why she can wield the hammer. Yeah, I understand that. But the, no, you didn't the, like it? I didn't like it. I just don't think they executed it well. Right. It was just a series of conveniences okay. that led her to be able to wield mm. the hammer. And it was just so we could get the Mighty Thor version mm-hmm. of her into the movie. But I loved it. Oh, yes, I loved it. But it was like, oh, okay, so we just have to accept this <laughs> and how it transpired. Yeah. And I found that a little lazy, okay. to be honest. When you're talking about contrived, the climax of the film especially is a bit silly and contrived. Again, we won't reveal what happens. It's Mm -hmm. a bit of a spoiler. Mm -hmm. But come back to us on our socials and let us know your thoughts on how the big battle at the end plays out when you've seen it. Mm -hmm. Because it makes me wonder if it's become too Disney-fied, they're trying to appeal to that younger audience more. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. I mean, look, this is something I've read on the internet in the day since seeing Mm. this movie that – People seem to be leaning more and more into the fact that these films are being churned out by Disney and how that's impacting mm. the the stories themselves, which is a little bit of a shame, I guess. But it's it's a valid point that people are making. Also, the title, Love and Thunder. Mm. It might seem obvious, but there's another layer to it that you don't find out until the very, very end. Literally. It's quite a cute twist, but what did you think of it? Um, Look, it was cute, but not to shit all over this movie, but (laughs) I was just ready for it to be over by that point. Wow. And I was like, oh, okay, so that's what the title means. All right. 
I'm ready to leave now. So, <laughs> like, but I we still compel- had two end credits to see. Still had two end credits to see. But no, I was compelled and interested because I'm keen to see where that leads. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm very interested to see where that will take us in future stories. Well, I think it goes without saying at this point that Taika Waititi will inject a lot of humour mm-hmm. into his films where possible. I do agree with you what you said at the beginning that the balance of heart to humour was off in this one. Yes. We want to wrap up this very real and raw thread of loss for Thor. You know, he has lost so freaking much. And he had been turned into a bit of a joke with the fat suit and taking over the Guardians who just clearly don't want him there. Mm. And as I said before, you know, a big part of Thor is that this development of him from this vain, arrogant god into somebody who really cares about humanity and Earth. It was just thrown right out the window for the sake of a joke, I think. Yeah, and speaking of the jokes, they Mm. weren't funny, like almost ever. Oh, no, look, I'll disagree with you there. I found it really painful. It's a style of humour that I guess is wearing thin, especially if you're getting hit over the head with it. Mm. And it really is shoehorned in a lot in this film. It was just turned up to 110 though in this movie. And I I don't have a problem with that type of humour. It was just constant, constant, Mm. unrelenting. And it distracted from the sort of film that it was also in the shadows trying to make at the same time. And there are some quite heart-wrenching moments that are turned into jokes. Yes. Which goes into spoiler territory again. We can't Mm. really talk about. But there's some really sweet moments between Thor Mm. and Jane. And, you know, they have this great love. He's been pining for her Mm. for what? He said eight years, was it? It's been eight years since we've seen her in the the movies. And their reunion and all the big revelations that come with that are turned into a bit of a lol jokes. Yes, Every moment of heart was lol jokes. It's like they were scared of leaning into those emotional moments. Yeah, and that's really freaking frustrating. Right. I was irritated and mm. a lot a lot of that came from just like the the only thing I can hear, there's so much white noise about this movie, but the only thing I can hear is those damn screaming goats. <laughs> okay? Which look, was funny on the internet 10 years ago. <laughs> right. It's not funny in this movie. I mean, we reacted the first time we saw it and we were like okay, this is fucking wacky, Taika, you're having some fun here. And then it just would not go away. And so I was so irritated and I was irritated by the fact that they didn't have the balls to sit in a moment of emotion, a moment of emotion without saying, like you said, lol jokes at the end of it. And I was just growing tired of it, unfortunately. Right. Can we talk about some of the great things about yeah, this film? please. Because there are some good things. There are, you're right. Some really epic realised shots. Thor flying through the air against a low sun set to a shredded rock soundtrack. Mm. Another epic soundtrack here. Unreal. It's so Punctuated much by screaming goats. <laughs> yeah, fuck. The remix. Oh! <laughs> 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 to be fair, like I was obsessed with the screaming goats on the internet <laughs> okay. 10 years ago. I thought it was great. But also 10 years ago, you were what? teenager early 20s that's flattering i was in my early 20s (laughs) so yes i'm a mature man now yeah visually this film is gorgeous Mm. okay the palette is full of bold colors again just like ragnarok there are also sequences in black and white which i found really interesting Mm -hmm. and i found them really striking too it reminded me a bit of the graphic novel sin city yes a little bit of that because in that moment the black and white moment there Mm. were also flourishes of color Mm. which visually is just like so arresting Mm. 
for an audience and that made a big impact in terms of how mm. you connected with the movie more and the sorts of things they were doing a little different here that were appreciated. And the menace of Gore the God Butcher Oof. in those moments just yeah. elevated. Yeah. The design of Gore the God Butcher, that's been talked about a lot. It's not the same as the comic books. Waititi has shared it's because the comic design looks so much like Voldemort from yeah. Harry Potter <laughs> with just, you know, those slit nostrils and yeah. no nose and the sharp Harry teeth. Harry Potter! <laughs> Very well done. Thank you. Can we talk about the cast? Yes. I really want to talk about Christian Bale. Okay, well, let's start there. Let's start with Christian Bale, Christian who Bale. plays Gore the God Butcher. He is one of the best things about this film. Right. That goes without saying. They opened so strong too. The film opened really strongly, I thought. Did, did you agree with that? I was hooked in. Because it sets up the the intention behind his character, yes. the motive. What, like, yes. what, where's his pain coming from? And it also creates a fully formed villain that we can immediately be invested in. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of depth there, and then of course you've got Bale's performance is great as always. Yes. Now, despite the strong opening mm-hmm. with the villain of the piece, did we get any more about his character throughout the film? Like oh, he literally I don't think plays so. in shadows, and I felt like he was a shadow in this movie. He was barely in it. As, as the main villain. I don't know. There was just stuff there that I was like, I was really invested in. Seems like you really didn't like this movie. I really didn't like this movie. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so I would be correct in my assumption. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Ten points so for Gryffindor. What I think you're trying to say. What I think you're trying to say is. Mm. Okay, there seems to be this trend since we all discovered in Ghostbusters that Hemsworth can do comedy. Yeah. To make everything he does funny. Do you think he's a good comedic actor? Yes, I do, but I think they lay it on so thick, so thick. that it's not funny anymore. Yeah. Subtlety is the key. Subtlety is the key and there's nothing subtle about mm. Thor, Love and Thunder. We talked about the aesthetics of it, the colours, mm. the, the scope and scale and the comedy. There's nothing subtle about that either. And I actually think he struggles here to convince us that he's funny. Oh. Yeah. It's too – like, I know Taika Waititi works a lot in improvisation. Yeah. You can friggin' tell in this right. movie. You okay. can tell that the words weren't from the page. They were from the actor's mind mm. to riff off each other, which is fine. I love improv. Mm. And there are some of the greatest moments in cinema when lines or moments are improvised in the moment yeah. because actors know the characters intimately. Mm. This is just too much of that, I feel. I think also where improv falls down in films is mm. when it's left to go on for too long. Yes, I didn't really notice any of that in this film, did you? Well, it wasn't a, a point of moments of improvisation that went on for too long. There were just too many of them. Okay. Therefore, they went on for too long. Okay. <laughs> I'm also really excited to talk about Jane Foster as Mighty Thor. She gets a fantastic hero entrance. Mm. She even has the coolest score, I think, from composer Michael Giacchino, who is just doing stellar work at the moment, by yes. the way. Batman score. He's the next Hans Zimmer, Honestly, I think. Honestly, his Batman score. Yeah. Oh. So her part of the score is called Mama's Got a Brand New Hammer. And I flipping <laughs> loved it. How good is the title of the I song? I know, though? but I loved it also. Yeah. The music is fantastic. It takes Thor's theme, twists it, gives it a new spin. It's completely unique to Jane and I, I just loved it. I couldn't agree more. The soundscape of this movie is good. And Natalie Portman, like you go girl, you look amazing <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> Those guns, yep. she absolutely owns the look Mm-hmm. It's really, really cool. The only thing I wish that we didn't get before the film was the reveal. Right. Her reveal in the movie was cool, how it played out, the mm. extended version of it. But we kind of already got it in the trailer. Yeah. And I feel like she deserved or the film deserved that moment, deserved the first look at her mm. when you saw 
the movie. Yeah. It was just diluted a little bit. Maybe they thought they couldn't keep it under wraps, so they thought they'd give it away. Naturally, because she is a huge element of this movie. She's Mm. in it from top to bottom, basically. So, yeah, that (laughs) would have been hard to hide. You're right. Uh, Tessa Thompson is back once again as Valkyrie. She is just gorgeous and magnetic. Mm. If she doesn't get her own film soon, riots, I'm telling you, in the streets. Right. What about a Disney Plus original series? Would you be satisfied with that? Uh, Seems to be the way of it. I don't know. I don't know. There's so much of the Valkyrie folklore or the, you know, Mm. all that sort of stuff that's untapped here. Mm. I think she's one of my favourite characters in the MCU. I just love her vibe and her sarcasm so much. You think like a six-part origin story could be good? Um, I don't think we need an origin story for her. I think we just need to follow some battles and adventures she has Mm. as the king of new Asgard. I'd quite like to see her in battle with her sisters. Like, that would be cool. Yeah. I mean, we got a flavour of that in Endgame, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, but we need more. We need more, please. I'm more thinking the flashbacks in um, Ragnarok when she was battling Hela Ooh. with all her Valkyrie sisters. Do you know what? Obviously, th- this has nothing to do with Thor, Love and Thunder, but I am convinced Hela is not actually dead and I really want her to come back. Kate mm, Blanchett. Maybe because, yeah, I'm just obsessed with Kate Blanchett. Yeah. But I'm hoping that where this Phase 4 leads is Hela will be a part of it in some way, shape or form. Was Hela well received? I can't remember around Ragnarok because I loved it. I thought she was oh, great. I thought she was great. I think there was some... Yeah, some people that weren't too convinced. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about the cameos before. We knew most of these cameos were coming. We've got the Asgardian theatre players, you know, Matt Damon as Loki, Luke Hemsworth (laughs) as Thor, (laughs) happens to be Chris Hemsworth's actual big brother, Sam Neill as Odin, and in this one, Melissa McCarthy (laughs) as Hela. We knew all these were happening. It was really great to see them play out. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. And uh, can we talk about Russell Crowe? (laughs) Let's talk about Rusty. So... When he started to speak, <laughs> because he's got an accent and a half here, yeah. we exchanged looks. <laughs> yeah. But I really, really digged it in the end. Really? Yes. If there's something that I actually enjoyed mm, about this no. movie, it was Rusty as Zeus. Yeah, look, I love the <laughs> idea of Rusty as Zeus and flouncing around. like Flouncing <laughs> around. What a character. I love Rusty's work. Mm. I hated this. With a passion. Okay. And I don't often say that. Yeah, I, no, I hated don't. the Greek accent. Felt like something derivative of Acropolis Now, which okay. for our international <laughs> listeners was an 80s and 90s Greek comedy show <laughs> made by actual Greek, <laughs> you know, people. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I liked the idea of them going in that direction. Mm-hmm. I guess you could say, what did we expect him to do? You don't want it to be Hollywoodized. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't want him to be doing Australian accent because that sounds awful. Yeah, God, <laughs> God, our accent is terrible. It is. Um, but, I mean, when you put it in context of Thor mm-hmm. is a Norse god, you don't hear him trying to do some terrible Scandinavian accent. That's true. They made that choice they and did. I think it was a good choice. Good choice, I agree. I think it was a bad choice to do the Greek accent. Okay, interesting. Well... It's been seen and heard before in the MCU because Elizabeth Olsen's character's accent (laughs) actually got Control-Alt-Deleted over about two or three movies. She phased it out. She phased it out, (laughs) which I get, I understand. I think she could have kept her accent, but who knows, maybe Russell will just show up as an Australian god (laughs) in the next film if he shows up again. I actually think the gods were pretty pointless in this film. I was excited 
to bring that thread in. Mm. And then when it happened, I thought, what was the point of that? Well, look, I agree because Gore is a god butcher. Mm. It's in his freaking name as a villain. And he goes around killing gods, yeah. right? That's what he's, That's his shtick. So we had to bring that in. Yeah. But they're all bloody dead before we even see them. We don't, we don't get introduced to any new exciting god. There mm. was a great opportunity for this film to have a bit of fun mm. and introduce us to, yeah, sure, characters you're going to kill off straight away, mm. but give some scope to the world of gods. Mm. And we didn't get that here. I thought that was a real big missed opportunity. And also the gods just didn't give much of a shit about what was going on. I guess that was their vibe though. That's the point. Yeah. They didn't give a shit about anyone else but themselves. Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah. It just seemed a bit pointless. Vacuous. Yeah, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, fair enough. All right, Lee. Well, I think that about does it in terms of us covering off Thor Love and Thunder. Mm. Should we wrap it up and rate it? So Love and Thunder is is action-packed fun, okay? It might not sound like it from what we've just talked about, but ultimately it doesn't feel like a cohesive progression of Thor's story. Stylistically, it rocks but the ironic humour shoehorned in at every opportunity makes the film feel tonally messy. Mm-hmm. There's a strong story in there, I feel, buried under blasting music and flashy sequences, but we just need to turn down the volume and all of that extra paraphernalia to allow it to shine through. I'm going to give Thor Love and Thunder three popcorn kernels out of five. Well, unfortunately for me, Thor Love and Thunder suffers the same fate of many MCU Phase 4 films, leaving you ask this singular question. So what was the point? Phase 4 is a hot mess and the cherry on top is Thor Love and Thunder. The potential for this film was endless, like you said, Lee, with its compelling Avengers Endgame setup for the character that was completely ignored. There is a good movie in there somewhere, but it is drowning in jokes and streaming goats. Remove 50% of the comedy, up Bale's villain by 30% and spend some time making us feel something other than cringe for a Thor that has become a parody of himself. I'm going to rate Thor Love and Thunder 2 Popcorn Kernels. So did you not have a good time at all in this film? Barely. Can I just clarify? Ba- barely. See, I had a good time. Yeah. But maybe that's because I just have a good time in MCU films anyway. Yes. I'm there for it. Do you know how much that that hurts me to have written that closing and to no. be talking about this movie? Like, I'm I'm upset. Like, yeah. genuinely, I, I don't enjoy blasting films. Yeah. Maybe a little bit. But uh, <laughs> I believe in the MCU. I'm so yeah. invested. We've been watching these damn movies for yeah. more than a decade. And I'm like, guys, come on, reel it in. You need, you have some work to do here mm. to convince us to be excited to keep returning. And because we are going to get another Thor film, I believe. Oh, look, I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, he's going to be in a, another one somewhere. I'm pretty sure well, I heard that. at the end it says Thor will return. So, yes, all I right, mean. true. <laughs> oh, yeah. I zoned out by that. <laughs> okay, no, well, I'm just kidding. No, go. I had a good time. Good. I did have a good time. All right, well, Thor Love and Thunder is in cinemas right now, guys. <laughs> And giant goats! Oh, look at those! They are wonderful! Yes, they are. They also scream quite a lot. Oh, there's those screaming goats. <laughs> no! Like a nightmare. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yes. Before we begin the news, it's time for another popcorn podcast ticket giveaway. With thanks to Madman Entertainment, we have five double passes to give away to see The Forgiven in Australian cinemas. The Forgiven is a psychological drama starring Jessica Chastain and Ray Fiennes as a wealthy couple involved in a deadly accident while on their way to a party weekend in the Moroccan desert. With the help of local authorities, they try to cover the incident up until the father of the young victim arrives seeking justice. For your chance to win a double pass to see The Forgiven, all you have to do is head to popcornpodcast.com slash giveaways and submit the form telling us your ideal holiday destination to escape this winter misery. <laughs> the giveaway is open to Australian residents only and you have until Monday, July 18 to get your entry in. Leah, I, I'm so excited to talk about this piece mm. of news because this is just one of the greatest stories of the mm-hmm. year. Top Gun Maverick has absolutely smashed the milestone of a US $1 billion at the global box office. This marks Tom Cruise's first billion dollar film, his most successful film release ever, and the second biggest release for Paramount Pictures behind a little film called Titanic. (laughs) It's incredible. It's rare to have an event film like this that launches strong and then just continues that trajectory. Normally they kind of peter off a little bit. Yeah, it's still fighting for the number one, number two spot in the American box office. It's amazing. We haven't had one of those kind of films in a long while and Mm. it's even more impressive that it happened during a pandemic. Yes, and 36 years in between drinks from like a sequel perspective. It is amazing. So, Tim, we've been on hiatus for a couple of weeks, but during that time, we've been getting little drip feeds of footage and images from the set of Greta Gerwig's Barbie movie. Loved this. The most widely circulated is footage of Margot Robbie as Barbie and Ryan Gosling as Ken, looking fabulous, (laughs) rollerblading along a beachside walkway when someone smacks Barbie on the backside and she turns and punches him and then they hug each other really scared. But in between that hug is... One of the greatest film screams of all time, I reckon. <laughs> and we've only seen it from a behind-the-scenes perspective. No, ladies and gentlemen. Not Margot the jury, Robbie. Not Margot Robbie. Freaking Ken, okay, Ryan Gosling, <laughs> lets out this brilliant scream. How yeah, good is it? It's good. What do you think this means? Like, there isn't much known about the story behind Barbie. I thought it was going to be more about the real Barbie or someone that – the character was based on okay. or that the toy was based on. Okay. Not the real Barbie, but just, you know, this fictional character that you like know. a biopic of some yes. way, shape, or form. Interesting. But what I'm actually wondering is whether it's a bit of a remember when the Simpsons went to the real world? Oh yeah, Homer went all three D yes. on Yes. I wonder if it's a that situation because she okay. looks scared and shocked. Well, they both do. Like they didn't expect. Well, if Ken Scream says anything. And they're also, when they're rollerblading, they're also looking at the world with this wonder that makes me think they're not from this world. Wow, you've really broken this down. I've been looking at it closely. (laughs) (laughs) Have you been looking at Ryan Gosling or the context of the film? Uh, I think that's a really good take on it. I reckon you're onto something there. Maybe. We'll see. Mm, Barbie in the real world. Mm. 
It feels like we've been talking about this one forever, but the Romy and Michelle sequel is getting closer than ever, according to Mira Sovino and Lisa Kudrow, who talked about it in separate interviews recently. So Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion is a 1997 film that follows best friends Romy and Michelle who create fake jobs to impress the kids who picked on them in high school. Didn't they create post-its? Yes. (laughs) They invented post-its. Invested, po- invented post-its. Yeah. Oh, so good. I love that movie. Uh, the film had moderate success when it was released. Oh, I loved it. But has since become a cult classic. Now, getting closer than ever, what does that mean in Hollywood years, do you think? I think it seems that it's definitely going ahead, but they're not quite there yet. I don't I know. I wonder if there's a script or even a concept for a story. They're working on the concept. That's the first mm-hmm. hurdle. Okay, well. We will keep you updated, folks. So this is some news that we absolutely love to see. So after eight years, Cameron Diaz, that's right, Cameron Diaz has been lured out of retirement by Jamie Foxx to star in a Netflix film, Back in Action, together. You know, I'm going to admit something here. I don't think I even realised that she retired. (laughs) Was that an official thing that happened like Daniel Day-Lewis? She announced a retirement? I, I was doing some research on this. I don't think she officially renounced her retirement until only a few years ago. Okay. So she kind of just disappeared and I was like, oh, I wonder what her next movie is going to be. Because yeah. the last film she did was the musical remake of Annie, mm. which didn't make much noise. No, but I think she also had a family during that time. Yes. She's focusing on health and wellness She's branding. She's written some books yep. and things like that. Yeah. She has a wine label, like organic wine. Everybody has a wine label these days. Yeah. Have you tried, sorry, tangent, have you tried Kylie Minogue's? No. Wine, her rosé. Apparently it's quite good. Sarah Jessica Parker has one now too, and not a low alcoholic one. Oh, okay. I've just been drinking a perfume. I thought that's what it's now <laughs> What kind of laugh was that? <laughs> you were channeling the goats. Yeah. So action comedy back in action will start production later this year, but nothing is yet known about the film's plot. The movie will be directed and co-written by Horrible Bosses creator Seth Gordon alongside Brendan O'Brien. So the project will reunite Diaz and Fox who worked together on the 1999 sporting drama Any Given Sunday as well as uh, the film we mentioned earlier, Annie. So in exciting news, Baz Luhrmann's Australia will be reimagined as a six-part limited series titled Far Away Downs. It will be released exclusively as a Hulu original in the US and a star original on Disney Plus in international markets, including Australia. The director's cut will be comprised of footage that was captured for the film while offering an expanded, serialised version of the story. Lerman is also promising a new ending and an updated soundtrack. Of course, he wants to meddle with the soundscape. So basically, it's getting the Justice League treatment. (laughs) Release the Lerman cut of Australia. (laughs) We can expect the release date to be later this year or early 2023. This is some of the most random piece of news we've ever read out. Did anyone ask for this? Uh, You don't want it? Oh, I want it. I'm just asking more broadly. I loved Australia. I will defend that film to the death. It's widely considered as a flop. I I don't see how because I loved it too. It's gorgeous. I'm excited to learn how he's going to expand this into six parts. There must have been a lot of story and character Mm. and footage on the cutting room floor. Yeah, I wonder. And there's a new ending too. Crazy. I'm trying to think. I can't remember how the film ended. Well, it had a happy ending, didn't it? Did it? Oh, okay. The Drover and... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, in this one, everybody dies. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. Well, the publicity seems to be in full swing for James Cameron's long-awaited Avatar sequel, Avatar The Way of Water, with the Oscar-winning director revealing what to expect from the film in a sling of new interviews this week. So Cameron sensationally hinted that he might not direct 
Avatar 4 or 5, but pass the baton on to someone he trusts to close out this planned five-film saga. This seems like a huge surprise given how invested and involved Mm. Cameron always is in his projects, right? And the amount of time it's taken these sequels to the highest-grossing film of all time to come out. I mean, what that says to me, of course he wants to be across all of these films, Mm. but what, is he 70-something years old? Cameron is in his 70s? I'm pretty sure he's in his 70s, early 70s. Oh, my God. And what that says to me is that he's realising that if he finishes out these movies, that's all he's going to be doing for his whole career. Maybe there's more projects that he wants to work on. I mean, rightfully so. I mean, you've got the likes of... Steven Spielberg. Mm. I'm not sure if he's quite in his 80s yet. I mm. mean, Ridley Scott certainly is, and he's churning out countless movies. Mm. I, I want to see new and exciting stories from Cameron, but I also feel he owes it to us to see this saga through as the director. Yeah. I don't know. I don't I'm know. On the fence. He doesn't necessarily need to be the director, but he can mm. oversee some of it. Yeah. Sure. Um, I just had a quick Google. He's 67. Okay. But still, you know, he's got, he might have other things that he wants to work on before he retires. Yeah, indeed. Well, Cameron has already filmed Avatar 2 and 3, with 4 and 5 still to be officially greenlit obviously pending the box office performance of The Way of Water. So time will tell if Cameron chooses to stick around as director or bid Pandora farewell. Could you imagine if they didn't go ahead with like four and five? I mean, it would kind of suck because Mm. they've devised a story over five films. Yeah. And Cameron has said, I I didn't include it in here, but he goes, four is like epic. Yeah. It's like four is like the pinnacle of the series basically. So he's... He's teasing us Mm. big time with Avatar 4. He's also said that Avatar 2 is three hours long and he doesn't want to hear people complaining (laughs) about toilet breaks. He's fine. Just go to the toilet. Oh, actually, I just remembered the thing he said about 4, he goes, it's a motherfucker. That's what he said. (laughs) He said 4 is a motherfucker. How Cameron is that? Love it. Oscar-nominated screen legend James Kahn sadly passed away at the age of 82 this week. His family announced via statement on Twitter. It's not known the cause of his death, but being 82, natural causes is not out of the question, is it? Yeah, yeah. Their statement read, It is with great sadness that we inform you of the passing of Jimmy on the evening of July 6th. The family appreciates the outpouring of love and heartfelt condolences and asks that you continue to respect their privacy during this difficult time. There's been really nice outreaches from mm. Hollywood that I've read. Yeah. Um, he, he made an impact. He's an imposing figure, like Ooh, a yeah. terrifying figure almost. Yeah, like yeah. Not, <laughs> not as a man, as an actor. <laughs> yes. Well, kind of as a man, I guess. I don't sure. know. There's stories from behind the scenes, but uh-huh. people revered and respected him. They certainly did. Um, he's best known for roles in The Godfather as Sonny Corleone, of course. He was Oscar nominated yep. for that role. Misery, Thief. And Elf, of course. Yes. As well as long-running TV series Las Vegas. Did you ever watch Las Vegas? I did watch some of it. I liked Josh Duhamel in that. Ah, that's right. He was in it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that was good. It was easy watching. It's like, you know, white noise in the background. You can always revisit it. (laughs) It was fun. Yeah, definitely. Lee, Mm. how about it? First episode of season eight in the can. We're so happy to be back on the tools bringing you new Mm. movie reviews. Season eight, it's going to be a banger. Make sure you are subscribed because you don't want to miss a minute. Absolutely. Well, you can check Thor, Love and Thunder in cinemas right now. And as always, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. We have a website, popcornpodcast.com. Make sure you check it out. We've got all our episodes up there for you. If you'd like to get to know us a little better, there's an About Us section and we run ticket giveaways. So keep an eye on the website for more information.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.